that he. Hello, good morning, Redeeming Grace Church. Come on in and have a seat, please. Glad to see everybody here. Grateful that everyone has arrived on time, and thank you for getting up early this morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We could have a seat as quickly as possible. This is a great time for us to honor the Lord, not because of me, but honor the God that trusting that He He speaks to us through His Word. And He desires to speak to us through His Word. If you've been following along, if you've been here the last few Sundays, last Sunday we picked back up again in Ephesians, finishing up the sermon on the armor of God, putting on the full armor of God, and, and the component that really covers all of the other pieces of armor that enables us to take up God's armor is prayer. As we were going through that last week, I realized in my preparation a few things that I think our church can grow in the area of prayer specifically. And last week was a, a great encouragement from Scripture. Scripture greatly encourages us to put on that, that armor of prayer. As I was studying, I was realizing, you know, I, I think that we're lacking this year. We need, we need to have better understanding about what is prayer? What does prayer look like? How do we actually pray? So today we're taking excursions just for a week coming from Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer. So if you're turning your Bibles to Matthew 6, we'll read God's holy, inspired, inerrant word together. We're going to read verses 1 and then skip down verses 5 through 13. We do not have overheads this morning, in case you were wondering. So if you're looking for up there, it will not be there. So if you have a Bible, open one up. If you don't, open one up on your phone, as long as you're not texting or emailing or things like that. And by the way, great time to say, if you don't mind, please put your phones on silent so they don't distract anyone else. That'd be an excellent way to serve people in the room. If you don't have a Bible, look almost somebody else beside you. Matthew 6, verse 1, and then we'll go 5 to, 5, 5 to 13. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And skip down to verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, you want us to come to you in prayer. You desire for us to come to you in prayer. God, that you have made us your new people, a new humanity in Christ Jesus. And, and now you have restored us to fellowship with you. And because of that, you desire to have a relationship with us. You desire fellowship with us. Lord, you want for us to commune with you, to communicate with you. God, thank you that you don't leave us alone trying to figure out how do we communicate to you? How do we talk to you? But God, you've given us these instructions so that we might know how can we speak to you, the speaking God? How can we hear from you, the speaking God? Father, I pray that you would use this passage in your word. You would use my words, Lord. I pray to encourage your people to desire prayer. Encourage us to pursue prayer. God, give us faith, Lord. Give us excitement about prayer. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would stir us up afresh. Lord, it's only by your spirit's moving that, that we live and breathe. And Father, it's only by your spirit that we can be inspired to live for you. But God, thank you that your spirit is living and active through your word. And so I pray, God, that you would make us alive to you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're ever leafed through the Bible, counting the different times the Bible talks about different things, the Bible looks at lots of different areas of our lives, and it talks about the area of praise or worship like 377 times, and it talks about prayer over 375 times. I think that most Christians know that prayer is something we should do. Prayer is something that Christians are meant to do, that it's part of the Christian walk, part of the Christian life. But here's the thing. If I were to take a poll of all of the people in the, in the room this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, although if I, if I did, you, you may not, because you may be worried about what people think about you. But if you were being honest, you, I think most of the folks in the room would say to some degree that you're not satisfied with your prayer life. You're not satisfied with how you pray, how much you pray, and you feel like your prayers are weak. You feel like your prayers may be feeble. Another portion of people would say that they don't feel guilty because you don't feel like you pray enough. And so if I was ever to ask, or even a small group, maybe the last few weeks you asked a small group, well, what, what area do you need to grow in? Oh, I, I need to grow in my, uh, in my prayer time. Yeah, that's a good Christian thing to say. Because we all, we all are aware that that's an area that we may not do enough. But then I think a large portion of us experience this, this odd feeling. And I say it's an odd feeling because we shouldn't experience it, but we do. We experience this odd feeling of guilt related to prayer. We feel guilty. We don't pray enough. I don't pray the way I should. I don't, oh, I didn't pray for this person. I didn't pray for that one. I'm not praying for the lost. Am I praying for all these things? And, and so prayer becomes either a duty or drudgery or is this, this kind of guilt thing. It becomes this legalistic thing that we look at in the Christian life. And, and prayer is not meant to be motivated by any of those things. When, when God told us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God, it was not because it earns us any favor before God. It's not because it makes us better people. It's not because it makes you a good Christian. It's because we need God's armor. Because we need God's help. We need God to communicate with us 
We need to communicate with him in prayer. We're in need of God desperately. So prayer, I think we, we have this wrong view. It, it's not a thing that we're supposed to look at as a duty. It's prayer is not meant to be a duty in the Christian life. And if you've been looking at prayer as a duty, I, I, I want you to change that view. I believe that scripture would have you change that view of prayer as a mere duty. Now, it, it is something that we can discipline ourselves for, plan for, but it is never meant to be a duty. It's also not meant to be something that we do because we feel guilty or because we think that we're going to earn favor before God. You see, God desires for us to know how to pray because God wants us to communicate with him. He wants us to have fellowship with him. He wants us to receive from him. He wants us to be changed by our communications with him. And that's what happens when we pray. When we pray, there's this interaction between us and God whereby God transforms us. He provides for us. He protects us through the means of prayer. He reorients our minds to things that are eternally important. He reinvigorates us. He strengthens us. And so Jesus, not surprisingly, taught his disciples how to pray. And in Matthew, it is one instance of several where Jesus prays with his disciples and Luke is the other time when his disciples came to him. And he said, Jesus, John's disciples, he, he teaches them how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? And so we see the same part of the Lord's prayer in, in Luke. Prayer is not something that we just must do. Prayer is something we get to do. If, if, if there's a main idea that, that you, you're, you're to walk away this morning is that prayer is something that we get to do. Prayer is something that we get to do, and God rewards prayer. Prayer is something we get to do, and God rewards prayer. There is great blessings found in prayer. The first thing we're going to look at from Matthew, the first point really, is that we're to practice prayer before God who rewards. We're to practice prayer before God who rewards. It's the first point here, and we can see it in verse 1. Jesus has been teaching about what does it look like to live the Christian life, to live righteously, to do, to do what's right in light of what God's called you to. And so he's walking through different areas, but the very beginning, what frames up the Lord's prayer is really verse 1 where he says, beware. Look in verse 1. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. In order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Listen, we're called to live out righteous lives in light of the fact that God has made those who have placed their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. God has made those of us who have done that, He's made us righteous. We're completely acceptable in his sight. And in light of that, he's called us to live righteously. Not to earn that righteousness, but in response to that righteousness. But what God is cautioning us to, and Jesus is cautioning us to, is, is a really common temptation that all of us have. You see, all of us are tempted to live out our lives either for the approval of other people, to earn the favor of other people, or to earn God's favor. And God says, no, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. One of the ways that we live righteously is to commune with God in prayer like Jesus did. But Jesus, our creator, he knows how we're made. He knows how we're wired because he made us. And, and so he is warning us about a temptation that everybody in this room is susceptible to. You see, we're all susceptible to finding our righteousness, finding our identity, finding our worth 
Not in Christ and his righteousness alone, but in what we do and how we measure up to other people. You ever, you ever find yourself there? I know that often when we come here on a Sunday morning and you're singing and you're like, I sound pretty good this morning. I hope Betty beside me can hear me because I just sound great. You're aware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Or maybe it's the flip side and you're like, my voice is terrible and I don't want anybody to hear me. So I'm going to sing really quietly. Because you're aware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Or maybe you've been in a small group setting where you're thinking, all right, I, th- I think I got, this, I got this down. So you, you pray this loud and holy sounding prayer. But what that prayer really is for is for everybody listening in the room. It's not really for God. Or maybe it inhibits you from praying. So you're in a small group and, and, and the group is praying. You're like, I don't want to pray at all because people will hear me and they'll think I'm stupid. I don't know how to pray. And God says, no, beware of practicing your righteousness, whether you pray or don't pray, how you pray or how you don't pray. Beware of doing that to be seen by other people. You see, we're all tempted to not trust Christ's righteousness alone. Instead, trust in people counting us as righteous. Did you get that? You see, what he's saying is that you're tempted to trust in other people's view of your righteousness. You're tempted to trust in whether people think you're righteous by whether you pray or don't pray, how you're viewed. And he says, don't fall into that trap. Beware of practicing your righteousness before the people to be seen by them. It's a trap that, that leads us to trust in our own righteousness, that as if we're doing righteous acts or praying righteous prayers so that people can hear us and be impressed by us as if we're gaining merit by whether they think we're righteous. We can feel better about ourselves because of how people view us. But if we're doing that, we're no longer trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone. And so it says that God does not reward those kinds of supposedly righteous acts and prayers, those prayers that are done, supposedly righteous acts that are done in front of other people, before the people. So he says, beware of this, for then you have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. You see, all of our righteous acts before God, even our worship that we sang this morning, our prayer, whether you lift your hands, whether you don't, anything that we do is only acceptable to God because we've already been completely accepted by God in Jesus Christ. Because God has already said, I'm taking all of the sins that you committed and I placed them all on Christ and I'm taking all of the worth that he earned and I'm placing it all on you. So now I'm, I'm seeing you as righteous and you can come into my presence, you can pray, you can do everything before me trusting in the righteousness of Christ. So in verse five, Jesus tells his disciples how to pray resting in God's righteousness and so we have what, what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And so he says, when you pray, though, it doesn't, the Lord's Prayer doesn't begin with just our Father, but it begins with some, some entreaties, some, some warnings. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners and may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. And that word there means a play actor. My kids love to play pretend. They love to pretend store and, and all kinds of things. And they sell me things for acorns. And so I've got to collect acorns in the yard and give them to the kids. They, 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 they love to pretend. They love to pretend to be something that they're not. But you know what? That, that pleasure doesn't go away. And sometimes as adults, we pretend as well. We pretend to be somebody who we're really not. And Jesus says, don't be like a play actor. Don't put on a show or a performance 
for other people. You think that God doesn't see your heart? You think that God doesn't know what you're praying? And he says, don't be, pretend to be praying to God, but really praying for other people to hear us. Hypocrites, he says, love to stand up, to be seen, to put on a show, to be noticed. It's the kind of people who stand up in church and pray really loud, really holy sounding prayers. And you have a special prayer voice so everyone can hear how holy you are and be impressed by you. But it, it really counters what prayer is to be all about. Prayer has nothing to do with the people around you. Now, we do pray corporately, and all throughout the Bible, we see encouragement to pray together. We see encouragement, we see Jesus modeling public prayer. But prayer is not primarily for the people around you. Prayer is to God to appeal to Him, trusting in Him, looking to Him, asking for help. Want to be heard by God precisely because other people are not our source of hope. As you're praying, as you begin to pray, we need to pray with the, at the outset thinking, okay, I'm praying, I'm praying because I can't hope in myself. I'm praying because there's not hope in the people around me. I'm not hoping in circumstances. I'm not hoping in what I see, but I'm hoping in God. And so as I come to God, I'm praying to God, hoping in God. Prayer, it's a dependence, a, a reliant dependence upon God to be our strength, our help, and to provide. And as we're praying, it's saying, God, I need you. God, I can't live life without you. God, I rely on you. You alone are the giver of good gifts. You are the one that we look to, not ourselves, not circumstances, not people. How shallow, how feeble it is to be rewarded with the praises of men. Let's say, okay, let's say that if you pray in front of other people and people are really impressed with you, what do you have? That's your reward. People are impressed with you. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, if you pray that way, you've already gotten your reward. And how feeble, how shallow is that? It's, it's like getting rewarded. And if you, if you give these out, I, I apologize. But it's like getting rewarded at Christmas time and you open up your stocking and you find, oh, there's a gold coin. Psych, it's really just a a cheap little aluminum thing with some bad chocolate in it. Um, it's, it's no reward. It's, it has all the appearances of reward, but no content. And what God's saying is, if, you, if you're praying, and that's your goal, is to get the praises of men, you've, you've gotten a feeble reward. That's your reward. There you go. It was great, wasn't it? Lasted real long, didn't it? About two minutes and then it left a bad taste in your mouth and you had to drink something to get rid of that nasty chocolate. What he's saying is it's, it's, that's no reward to live for. He says live for eternal rewards. Live for what matters. Live for the reward of your Father in heaven. Don't live to be rewarded by other people. How, how shallow, how feeble, how empty those rewards are. And so he wants us to have our prayers answered. Why is Jesus teaching us to pray? He's teaching us to pray because he wants to answer our prayers. He wants to respond to us. He wants to have fellowship with us. And so he kindly instructs us in some key principles to prayer. Look down in verse 6 for a minute, if you will. It says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Prayer is primarily to be seen and heard by God because he's a God who rewards. 
It doesn't mean that it's, it's not appropriate to pray together or to pray corporately. There's all kinds of examples of New Testament prayers done together. The real, the real reason, if you look in the Bible and John, if you're reading through John 17 and, and you see that Jesus' high priestly prayer, how did the disciples know that Jesus prayed all of those words? They wrote down several paragraphs of his prayer because they heard him. He was praying in public. He was praying so that they might hear what he was praying for. All throughout the New Testament, we have different examples of people praying together. And in Acts, from the very start in chapter 2, the disciples together gathered to pray. Public prayer is good. It's right. It enables us to agree with another person before God. But even when we pray together publicly, it is so that we can enter into their prayers and hear the prayers of other people and agree with them and say, yes, God, I agree so we can join together and have fellowship with other people as we have fellowship with God. But there's, there's something important that Matthew is teaching us, that Jesus is teaching us. He's, he's teaching us that we're to pray to be heard by God. And not only that, notice that Jesus says, when you pray, where does he say to go? He says, go into your room and shut the door and pray. There's something important here for us to see about prayer. It's, it, it's that prayer should be deliberate. It should be intentional. That it's good to plan to pray. You may feel like, you ever, you ever had this excuse or maybe known some people who've had this excuse of, you know what, I'm not going to pray today because I want to be legalistic. Huh. Okay. So how is praying dependent upon God's righteousness when you come to him? How is that legalistic? How is it legalistic to plan to pray any more than it's legalistic to plan to eat? Most of us plan to eat meals. Um, some of us try to do that spontaneously. When my wife is away, I, I try to spontaneously plan. It doesn't work. It ends up in pizza. It, <laughs> you see, in all of life, there, planning is not negative. It's not bad. Being deliberate about things is not bad. It's not a negative thing. And so there's a principle here. Jesus is saying, you know, when you play, when you pray, plan to pray. Go into your room. Have a plan. Go into your room. Shut the door and kneel down because your intent, your purpose is to be deliberate about prayer. It's not because it's legalistic. And sometimes, and, and just for a moment, I want to take a little sideline here. Sometimes, we can be ultra-legalistic about not being legalistic. Does that make sense? We can say, I don't, I don't want to do that because I don't want to pray every day for five minutes because then I'll get legalistic. Really? I think the problem is your heart, not your practice. The problem is not our practice. The problem is our hearts. Are we trusting in the righteousness of Christ when we pray, when we plan to pray, or are we trusting in our plans? If we're trusting our plans, fine. Repent of legalism and then still plan to pray. Because it's, we use this excuse, well, you know, I don't want to be legalistic. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to read my Bible every morning because then it'll become dull for me. Really? Then address your heart. Trust in God. And then pray. Not out of duty, but pray because God, God says, come to me. I want to, I want to give to you. I want to, when you ask, I'm going to, I'm going to respond. When you knock, I'm going to open the door. Come and pray. And so Jesus is saying, go into your room Shut the door. We have this wonderful promise. We have this wonderful promise that when we pray, it says our Father who is in secret will hear us. Our Father who is in secret will hear us. 
Whenever we pray how feeble we think our prayers may be or how great we may think our prayers may be, they are heard because they're directed to God, trusting in God, and it says that God will see our prayers in secret. He says, pray to your Father who's in secret. doesn't mean God is a secret, but that God is unseen by our physical eyes. We're not praying to be seen by other people. This is a contrast. We're not praying to be seen by other people who we can see. We're praying to God who we cannot see, who seems to be secret, and he who sees our hearts in secret will, will answer our prayers. Think about that for a moment. There's a wonderful promise that when we pray to God, not to be seen by other people, when we pray to God, God hears our prayers, and he says that he'll reward you. That is motivation to pray. Motivation to pray is because God will see us, God will hear us, and God will reward us. Now in verse 7, Jesus gives us another warning about prayer, and he warns us not to look to prayer as if it's a mystical or a magical thing. And so in verse 7, look down your Bibles, please. It says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. The Gentiles in that day used to believe that if you repeated certain words and certain phrases enough, then the gods would answer you. That if you only badgered the gods enough and you annoyed them enough, then they would respond to you. If you said these special incantations or mantras or chants in a special way, then the gods would hear you. And that, that idea is not lost today. There's still many who practice witchcraft and other kinds of things, thinking that by chanting or saying some special words and some special incantations, some special rhyme, that they'll be heard. But, God's, but Jesus says, don't, don't pray like that. They think they'll be heard for the many words. The implication is they're not heard at all. Now, he's not saying don't pray long prayers. That's not what that means. He's also not saying don't repeat yourself. Because the reality is, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, in Luke 18, he, he, he was teaching them to keep on praying persistently for the same things. Jesus, in fact, it says he went back and he prayed the same thing again. Three times, Jesus went back and he prayed the same thing again. So it's not about not repeating ourselves, it's about, tr- it's about not trusting in, this, in the repetition, We're not trusting in in how we phrase things. We're not trusting in special incantations or we're not trusting in in using secret prayer words. And sometimes, by the way, that can be a barrier for people as they're getting ready to pray. And we're like, I don't know the the right words to pray. I don't know those special prayer words to pray. And Jesus is saying there's there's no such thing here. This is is not praying these special words these special number of times and then God will magically unlock the door and God will say, hey, you discovered how to pray awesome, I'll hear you. No, it says you pray in secret. You don't have to use all these repetitive special words. It's not as if you have to find that secret key that will unlock God hearing us when we pray. God doesn't overlook anything. God hears everything. He doesn't need to be badgered into listening to us. No, Jesus says in verse 8, look down your Bibles again. In verse 8 it says, do not be like them. Why? He says, for your Father knows. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Here is our confidence in prayer. Before we begin to pray, you can know God knows what you need before you even ask Him. So we can pray knowing that He hears us whenever we pray. Not only does He hear us, He's willing to do what is needed for us. 
God's intricately aware of what's going on in our lives. He's concerned about everything that happens to us. So Jesus says, come praying so as to be seen and heard by God. Looking to him to meet your needs. Come praying, trusting in God to reward your prayers. Come praying, knowing you don't have to say things perfectly. And let me say to you, if, if you feel like, I can't pray because I don't know how to pray. Let me disabuse you of that notion. You don't have to pray perfectly. And if you want a model of prayer, we're going to get to that in just a minute. Jesus gives us a model. Pray that. But it's not limited to that. But he says, come praying because God already knows what you need. And he's just waiting for you to come to him dependently in prayer. He's welcoming you to come to him dependently in prayer. So Jesus has told us the posture we need when we prepare to pray. And now he tells us the particulars of our prayer. And he explains how to pray. So in verse 9, look down your Bible. It says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. So Jesus is saying, pray in this manner. Pray in this way. Pray in a way that's based on these things. Prayers that are like this. And so at times... You can apply that, that principle in verse 9 with, okay, I'm just going to actually pray through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer without explanation. I'm going to, and it's good and right to do and say, and it's, it's good to actually pray as part of liturgy as well. And you can pray together. I think everybody in the room may know this prayer. Right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I've got the art in my head still, see? And, and then it goes on from there. So it, it's... In other times, we can pray in ways that are consistent with the Lord's Prayer. And so in Luke, it seems to be saying, pray that prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And here, he seems to be saying, pray like this. Pray based on the Lord's Prayer. And if, if you're feeling like your prayer life is feeble or lacking, I'd encourage you, go here to the Lord's Prayer. Listen to this message again and say, okay, how can I pray like God prays, like Jesus prays? And so he says... And where he begins, it's really remarkable. Think about where he begins. He says, pray like this. And where does he start? What is, what is the very first two words? You can say them out loud. What are the first two words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. Think about how astounding that is. No one before Jesus could, could really pray that prayer full of faith. But you see, through Jesus... Through the fact that as we trust in him, he has adopted us. That God has adopted us as his own children. And so now we can pray with the same status, the same standing that Jesus has. That is astounding. He, he taught us to pray with that confidence, with that very beginning. Praying not to God as an angry dictator. Not to God as if he is opposed or begrudgingly has to hear us. But it says pray to God as our Father. Not just pray to God the Father, but pray to God our Father. Mutually with Christ, together he is our Father. Together we have the same standing before God as Christ. And so we can say, God, you are our Father, the Father of Christ and I. And we pray to you. The position of a son, it's a privileged one. Even in human relationships, right? If you look throughout history, often the sons were the heirs. The son could expect unfettered access to the father as well. And for kings, the subjects could not just come into the throne room, but the son could come freely. And Jesus prays, and he tells us to pray, Our Father. 
You ever feel like God's unwilling to hear your prayers? Like God's begrudging to hear your prayers? Jesus is saying, pray like this. Forget that notion. Pray trusting in me. Pray that you've been adopted in him. Pray that God is your father, our father, and he's just as willing to answer your prayers as he is to answer Christ's prayers. That's remarkable. Pray our father. Jesus blows that myth and guilty misperception out of the water. He's saying we, we now, you now can have the right to pray to God as your father. You've been adopted and made righteous because of his righteousness you have the same access. You can come freely to the throne of grace, receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. You can pray our father. And, and that alone at the very beginning changes prayer from being a duty to a privilege. It, it changes prayer from being a duty to a privilege. We get to come before our father. And then we see that in addition to praying with privileged access, we pray for God's name to be holy. It says, our Father, hallowed be your name. And that's kind of an archaic word. It's a word that really means to, to make holy, to make sanctified, to set it apart, to set it aside, to show it to be holy. But it's, it's not as if somehow our prayers actually make God Holy. But it's, it's that our prayers would be in such a way that our desire is that God's reputation would be known as holy. That we would see God as holy. Our prayers would be guided by a desire for us to see God's name. To set God's name apart. His reputation as holy. It's meant to guide the motivation for our prayers. To, be in, to pray in such a way that God would be glorified with the motive that God be seen as holy and exalted and worshipped. You see, God's already holy. His name's holy. And the angels, what do the angels say around the throne? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But when we pray, it's, it's like we're participating together, declaring God's name as holy, reminding ourselves that we're coming before a holy God. He's our Father and He's a holy Father. And then we pray that, that God that people may recognize that God is holy and give them the reverence that he's due. And it's meant to turn our attention to holiness and prayer. But then look in verse 10. It says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are those prayers all about? It's, it's really the third point that we're looking at this morning. It's that we're, we're to pray motivated by God's will and pray for God's kingdom to come. We're to pray motivated by his will and for God's kingdom. We're to pray motivated by God's will and for God's kingdom. You ever wonder if I'm praying what's right? Am I, am, I, am I praying for what's right? Am I praying for what's good? Well, Jesus helps us understand what's the motivation of prayer. Maybe you struggle with the motivation for prayer. And he says, I, I want you to pray motivated by, by God's will and for God's kingdom. And if you're praying in such a way that your concern is for God's will to be done, and for God's kingdom to come, you can be sure that you're praying good and rightly motivated prayers. You see, God already rules over all things. When you're praying that his kingdom might come, are you praying that, God, uh, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I sure pray that your kingdom comes. No, that's not what that means. It means that his kingdom has already been announced and established, but not everyone recognizes his kingdom. 
Not everyone recognizes his rule. He's already come. He's already conquered the land. And yet there are some who doesn't, don't know that he has conquered. There's some who, who do not recognize his reign and his rule. And so our prayer is that his rule and his reign would be acknowledged and evident in the world. It's that God's reign would come in the lives around us who don't know him. When you're praying this way and you meditate, what does that really mean? I'm praying that, Lord, would you have my siblings who don't know you, would they acknowledge your reign and your rule, your kingdom? Lord, would you make them a part of your kingdom? Would your kingdom come? Our prayer is that government and institutions would bow to the rule and reign of Christ. You can think about a lot of the implications of what does this mean? How can we pray like this? Well, I'm praying that, that our country would bow to the rule and reign of Christ. Matthew uses the word for kingdom more than any other biblical author. The word for kingdom here is used 159 times in the New Testament. Matthew uses it 54 of those times, almost double what any other author in the New Testament does. Matthew is very aware of this idea about God's rule in his reign on the earth. How he's already ushered in his rule and his reign, but it's not yet completely carried out. And so what we're praying for is that his rule and his reign will be carried out. And later on, in Matthew 6, if you go down to verse 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples still, and he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Our prayer is that the gospel of the kingdom would be spoken to all of mankind. We can trust God that as we seek his kingdom, he'll provide for us more than he provides for flowers and birds because we're his children. In fact, in Matthew 9.35, we can see some of the same kingdom language. And it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and listen to what he was doing, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Proclaiming the good news of God's rule and reign. Matthew 24, 14, towards the end, Jesus is telling his disciples, they've asked him, Jesus, tell us when the end will come, what these things will look about and look like. And so Jesus, in Matthew 24, 14, he says, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. So what are we praying for the God's kingdom to come? We're praying that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth and that he would come. He would come. And then the last time we see Jesus mention the kingdom, it's in his last supper before he was crucified in Matthew 26, 29. And Jesus says, but I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We're praying in light of the fact that his rule and his reign has come. But we're praying that that rule and reign will be evident not only in our lives, and we need to pray for that as well, that we would live in such a way that we're submitting to his rule and reign, but also pray in such a way that we're praying that, that everyone around us would submit to the rule and reign of Christ. Looking forward to that day, praying with an awareness of the fact that one day we will be with him in his kingdom. So Lord, haste the day. Lord, speed the day. And then he says to pray God's will will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. And what does that mean? It means that we would not only pray that we would do God's will, but also means that we pray that others might do God's will too. 
Pray for friends and family members they'd be born again, yes, but pray that God would change their hearts to do his will, even if they aren't. Pray that God's will that he's revealed in his word that it'll be established and it'll be upheld. Pray that people will carry out his will, that God would direct the hearts of men towards his purposes. Pray that God's will will be done in your work, even in your unbelieving workmates. Pray that way. Pray for them. Pray that God's will will be done through you. Pray that God's will will be done in our local city government. Pray that God's will will be done in this area. Pray that God's will will be done in the church. Pray that governments would protect the weak, that leaders would put aside corruption and deceit and act justly and truthfully. These are all things in accordance with God's will. We can pray in accordance with God's revealed will, the will that he reveals in his word. Pray that people would stop killing babies. Pray that people would stop oppressing and enslaving other people. It's praying God's will be done. Pray that God be glorified in our lives. Pray that God would use us to preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. That's God's will for us. Some people say, I don't think I'm called to, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Yes, you are. Pray that God's will be done through you. Pray that we'd be faithful. Pray that we'd be salt and light in the world all of these things are, are praying God's will be done. God, God, your will be done. Jesus himself, he prayed for, for God's will to be done in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed and delivered over to the cross. He knew what a horrible crucifixion awaited him. So, see, praying God's will doesn't mean, God, get me out of this, Lord, although we can pray that God gets us out of bad circumstance situations, it's not always his will. See, Jesus prayed, God, your will be done before the crucifixion. He knew there was going to be hardship. He was both God and man, and, and as God, he knew what was coming. He knew there was hardship and suffering and betrayal. He knew that he'd wear a crown of thorns. He knew he'd be beaten and mocked and betrayed. He knew all his friends would desert him. He knew a painful death awaited him, and he knew that the Father would turn his face away Jesus, knowing what would happen, prays in Luke 22, 41, he says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. You see, God answered his prayer that God's will be done. And he answered his prayer by strengthening him, not by getting him out of it. And I'm glad that God's will was done and that Jesus prayed according to God's will. It's our only hope. At times, though, there's something we need to see that when we pray God's will, it doesn't always mean, A, we understand God's will, that we, we always will enjoy God's will, but it does mean God's will is always what is best for us. It means at times that we may suffer and be punished as part of God's will by other people, not by God. It may mean that our friends desert us, that we're mocked, that we die an awful, lonely death. 
You see, God's answer is not to deliver Jesus from pain and suffering, but to send an angel to strengthen him, to enable him to do God's will. And if we're praying that way, God, I don't want this, but Lord, your will be done in whatever area of my life, depending upon you, trusting in you, God will strengthen us and enable us to be able to stand up whatever we face. You see, this is very different than the health and wealth gospel, right? <laughs> praying this way is not praying to get great things from now. God does provide for his children, and at times he blesses us more than we can ask imagine with material things as well, but he does not promise that. That is not always his will. We cannot make that assumption it's misleading for us to live that way because if you live that way, you're going to be disappointed. You think somehow God is displeased with you and bad things happen to you. You're going to think that as a Christian, if something bad is going on in my life, if I'm experiencing trials or suffering or difficulty or financial hardship or if I'm suffering in some way, God must be displeased with me. No, that's not the case any more than he was displeased with his son. But it doesn't say that. It says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. God, God is well pleased with us, not, not because of us, but because of Christ's righteousness. And, and when we suffer, have difficulties, when God doesn't seem to be answering the prayers the way that we hope, it does not mean God is displeased with you or punishing you. But we can trust in him. He will strengthen us. So you should pray for a job so you can carry out God's will for your life to provide for your family, your children. You should pray for a good job so you can reach people for him. Those things aren't selfish if they're done in God's will. It's not even selfish. Lord, can I, can I have a bigger house so that I can, I can have lots of people in hospitality? I'd like to be able to host people. Lord, um, I want an extra bedroom so that I can host people who visit out of town. Lord, I want to adopt. Lord, it's not wrong to pray those things, but pray them. God, your will be done. Not motivated for selfish gain, but praying that God's will be done in your life. It's okay to pray for a car so you can go about the business God has called you to and un unhindered. It's, pray it's good to pray for finances and protection for your children. All of those things are, can be done in accordance to his will. So Jesus isn't saying don't pray for yourself. No, he's saying pray for yourself but do it submitted to the kingdom of God seeking the will of God. Don't just pray for yourself. Don't pray selfishly. Pray for yourself. But pray submitted to his will. Pray in a way that is living for the kingdom. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. And there's this daily dependency implied here. The fourth point is, we, it's petition for provision. The fourth point is petition for provision. Petition for provision. Jesus intends that when we come dependently to God every day, expecting that he'll provide for us, trusting that God will provide for us, that he wants to provide for us. In the wilderness... The people of Israel, they had to depend upon God every day. There was nothing to eat. There was nothing to drink unless God provided it for them. But yet God graciously, every day, every day, every day, God provides just enough manna to his children each day. Each day God gave them manna from heaven. Each day God gave them just enough provision that they needed. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, if you're reading through there, sometimes people will get greedy and they think, oh no, I'm not going to have enough for, for two days from now. Because it's hard to trust God every day, isn't it? It's hard. And you think that they're weird or boy, how could they do that? Because didn't they see that God's providing every day for their needs? Sure, just like you and I do. And just like we're tempted to think, well, will God really provide for me tomorrow? 
And so they were tempted, the Old Testament, they were tempted to do that. And so what did they do? They went out and they collected double the, the amount of manna they needed for that day. And they, they set it aside thinking, well, I'll, I'll use it for tomorrow. But every time they did that, it, it turned to worms. It rotted immediately, that extra amount. And what was God, why was God doing that? God was wanting them to see that they needed to daily depend upon him and trust in him. He's the one ultimately who provides. It's not their planning that provides. Now, it's hard for us to get that in the culture that we live in because not many of us live day to day like that. But this was a very agrarian culture that was subsistence. They, 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 they worked for the day's wages, and if they got paid that day, they ate that day. And so they daily were dependent upon God, and God intends for us to have that same mentality. Give us this day our daily bread. The same dependent, expectant, trusting attitude. God, would you provide the manna I need for each day? Lord, everything I have is from you, even if I don't see it or make those connections. Lord, help me make those connections. God, I want to trust in you for each day's bread. Yes, we work, we get a paycheck, but it's God who provides. And we're to trust daily in God to provide for us and expect and look to him to provide, trusting he'll give us our daily bread. And so what is it also saying is that we need to come before God every day saying, God, I, I, I trust in you. I'm looking to you for provision. It does a few things. One, it reorients our eyes so that we don't get carried away to thinking that it depends upon us. This helps us stay trusting in God. It helps us not be self-righteous and self-sufficient. God, I need you every day. And if, and if you just start there, by the way, it's a good place to start. God, my Father, I need you every day. God, help protect me from thinking I don't need you. The, the Israelites became idolatrous and they complained. We're tempted to do that too, right? We're tempted to, to think about what God's provided for us and not be content with what God's provided for us each day. And so the Israelites, they, they became discontent. They, they didn't like how God was providing for them every day. And in Numbers 11, 4, it says, And the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at except all this manna. And we do that too, right? So God's saying, don't, don't, don't be like that. Pray, pray, give us your, this day our daily bread. May we depend, be dependent upon you each day and grateful to you each day for all that you've given us. You see, they lost perspective. They began to rewrite their own history. They said, we, we ate this meat freely. We ate fish free in Egypt. Oh yeah, we were slaves. We were in bondage. We made bricks with not enough straw, but, but we ate fish free. Sometimes we, we like to think that way too. God, we were just so much better off before. They lost perspective. They lost sight of God's provision. They became ungrateful and complained. And God took their ungrateful prayer seriously. In, in verse 18 of Numbers 11, he says, say to the people, he's talking to Moses, say to the people, it's okay, you want meat? Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Get ready is what he's saying. And you shall eat meat. For you've wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? And he's mocking them. For it's better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month. Until it comes out of your nostrils. 
and becomes loathsome to you because you've rejected the Lord who is among you. God wasn't pleased with their greed. Jesus is saying, don't pray greedily. Pray, give us this day our daily bread. He was displeased with their ingratitude and complaining attitude and they came to him as as though they knew best what they needed. And then Numbers 11.33, it says, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. He struck the people with severe plagues. The name of the place was called Kerboth Hatava because there they buried the people who had been greedy. Let's pray, God, protect us from greed. Protect us from the culture around us, the lie that says that we need more and more and more and it's never enough, Lord. May we every day be dependent upon you for our daily bread and be satisfied in you no matter how much you give us. And by the way, that can be tempting. It can be difficult, but why? Because God gives everybody different amounts of things. You may be thinking, well, if I only had, it's easy for you to say because you've got a big house, you've got nice things, it's great, God's provided for you. If I only had what you had, then I'd be content. We see, no, it's about our hearts. It's the attitude that we have in prayers, an attitude is grateful, dependent upon God for our daily routine provisions. Seeing that God, you know what's best for me. God, you know what's enough for me and I'm gonna trust that you are enough. And I'm gonna pray that you provide what I need. And, and, and Jesus taught us that we can pray to God our Father who knows our needs and he wants to reward us. Keep that in mind, it was framed with that. He wants to reward us, that's how he began. Your Father who sees in secret, he knows what you need, he will reward you. That doesn't mean he's gonna reward you with a million dollars. But it does mean he's gonna reward you in this life with what you need and he's gonna reward you in the life to come with more than you could ever imagine living in light of the kingdom and his rewards. And then in verse 12, he, he says to pray for forgiveness, but he puts it in different language. Look in verse 12, if you will, please. Look down in your Bibles. It says, and forgive us our debts. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is not talking about money, but this is petition for the forgiveness of sin. That's really the fifth point that we're gonna look at. Petition for the forgiveness of sin. Petition for the forgiveness of sin. Later on, we're going to see this word for debts and debtor. And again, in Matthew 18, if you're familiar with the story in Matthew 18, there is a servant who owes an unpayable debt. He owes 20 times 10,000. A talent was 20 years' wages, and he owes 10,000 times 20 years wages unfathomable amount and that parable the master freely forgives the debt and completely without expecting any payment and, and here's the thing if you placed your faith your trust in Jesus Christ he's wiped away all your sins he's forgiven you completely and freely without expectation of any repayment and he says you could never repay don't even try because it debases what I've done for you. I've already paid for you, so don't embarrass yourself by trying to pay. You've been forgiven completely if you've placed your trust in Jesus. And although we don't have time to look down in, in verse 14 and 15 of our text, 
there is an explanation of this principle that Matthew picks up with, and he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father, your Heavenly Father will forgive you, but if you do not forgive trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. He's, he's, he's saying here, not to forgive other people is living like a hypocrite. It's living as if you've not been forgiven. It's living as if their debts against you are so much greater than your debts against God. And he says, don't be like a hypocrite. Don't live like that. God takes it seriously when we're self-righteous and unforgiving. And it's a warning that if you find yourself in that place where you're not forgiving other people, it's a warning to you. Beware. Are you really in Christ? Have you really received his forgiveness if you are not able to forgive other people? Do you really understand he's paid the penalty for all of our sins? And so the content of our prayers should be to ask God to forgive us from our sins. It says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to make us clean, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we ask him to forgive our debts, does that mean that we still have a debt owed? No. What it's saying is that we're acknowledging that we have debts before him and it's, it's applying and receiving the forgiveness that he's already given to us. God, forgive us our debts. Lord, we need to be reconciled to you. We have great debts against you, Lord. Please forgive me. I pray that we would... Take the sacrifice of Christ on ourselves. We receive forgiveness of God. It doesn't mean he has not already forgiven us. At the same time, the content of our prayer shouldn't be limited to asking for forgiveness, but we should also bring before God those people who've sinned against us. You know, people sin against us. Big surprise, right? Maybe you feel like somebody sinned against you this morning on the way to church. Maybe you feel like uh, or you're aware of how other people have offended you or done wrong to you or stolen from you or hurt you or maligned you or wronged you in some way. And he's saying you need to be regularly forgiving those who owe you something, who have a debt to pay. In light of how you've been forgiven for your debts, forgive other people for the debts against you, for their sins against you. And so in our prayers, we need to make a regular habit of confessing our sins to God. That should be a regular component of our daily prayers. And it should also be a regular component to say, God, and I forgive. God, I consciously choose to forgive. I don't want to. It means a cost I have to take on myself. I don't want to. But God, because you took the ultimate cost on yourself, Jesus, because you took the ultimate cost, I want to take this cost on me and say, I'm going to I'm going to free them from the debt that they owe me. I'm going to release them from the debt that they owe me. I'm going to forgive other people. So the content, the posture of our prayers should be extending forgiveness to our debtors because we need forgiveness too. And it's this constant practice, Christian, that will, that will guard us against bitterness and resentment and unreconciled, unforgiven sin that it eats you up inside, that festers like a wound it will never heal. And he says, forgive your debtors. Don't live like that. Don't live enslaved to being aware of what people owe you. God doesn't treat you that way. He treats you as if your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. He forgets all you've done against him. He chooses to say, no, I'm not gonna think of those when I think of, of my children. He wants us to be free from bondage to our sin, free from the slaving sins of bitterness and anger and resentment. So Jesus tells us 
Content of our prayer should include asking forgiveness and extending forgiveness. As you notice, going through the Lord's Prayer, if you meditate on this, it, it covers every area, every aspect of our lives. Not, not specifically with the words he gives us, but boy, if you think about it, every area, it affects everything. Praying to God our Father takes care of our worldview, turns our trust to him, to look to him for life, knowing that he wants what's best for us, remembering that God is in heaven. He is Lord over all. Our Father who art in heaven. He's Lord over everything. He's reigning over everything. He's bigger than anything, every circumstances, every situation, every principality, every power. It gives us assurance at the very outset that we can come to him in prayer and that he can answer. He's all-powerful. He's able to do what's best. Praying for God's will has a purifying effect on our desires what we're longing for, what we're living for, and it changes our thoughts that we're earnestly praying for God's will as he revealed in his word, and then he assures us even when we don't know what's best, his perfect will is, and then praying for God's kingdom, it keeps us focused on what we're living for and what's eternally important. It keeps us in the place where we're living to submit ourselves to his rule and the preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And in, in, in every aspect of the Lord's prayer, it has to do with every area of our lives including our daily needs of food, he knows we'll be tempted to sin as well. And so in the last part, and this is where we'll close, look in verse 13, it says, and lead us not, pray like this, and lead us not into temptation, or, or, or God, don't test us, please, but deliver us from evil. And so the sixth point we're looking at is protection from future sin. What is prayer? Prayer is protection from future sin. We're praying for protection from future sin. If you think that you can resist the temptation to sin. If you think that you can do those things on your own, you are deceived. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, if you, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. It's, it's just at those moments when you think, I'm doing great, and your confidence is in yourself and your own ability. Those are the moments when we're most prone to fall. And how can we be protected from that? We can be protected. Lord, I pray that you would, you would not test me, that you would not lead me into a time of testing, that, Lord, you would deliver me from evil. When we're frail, when we, are, we are weak. And because we're frail and we're weak, when we're tested, we can often fall into sin. We can be prone to fall into evil. And so we should pray in a way that we're not naive. Here's how we can pray, okay? We can pray something like this. Pray, God, I know where I might be tempted today, Lord, and God, I'm, I'm not even aware in some areas where I might be tested, but God, please let me see. Please let me see those areas where I'm being tempted, and Lord, give me grace to, to flee temptation. You can pray like this. God, God, deliver me from evil. Lord, I'm relying on you. God, deliver me from the unseen evil in my, Lord, deliver me from the temptation to sin in my own heart. Deliver me from the evil that's out there that I don't even, I'm not even aware of. God, enable me to do spiritual warfare today. God, when I'm confronted with the lies of the devil, enable me to recognize them. When I'm tempted to lie myself, God, I pray that you would enable me to put on the belt of truth alone. You can, you can pray like this. Father, enable me to rest in you, trust in your righteousness alone, not be tempted to trust my own efforts or my own prayers. You can pray, Father, may I hope in your salvation and not be tempted to trust in anything else for salvation. God, protect me. May I not be tempted by the deceitfulness of riches. Lord, may I not be tempted to trust in a job. Lord, may I not be tempted to trust in a relationship. God, would I not be tested, tempted to trust in earthly possessions. God, would you enable me to remember your words, enable me to stand firm in the faith when I face all the fiery darts of the evil one today. 
Lord, lead me not to temptation. Deliver me from evil. We can pray like this every day. Prayer is not just something we, we should do in the sense of mere duty. Prayer is something we get to do because we need it. We should take advantage of our loving Father who, who welcomes us to come to him in prayer. You see, this call to prayer is not a call to like, you're not doing enough, you're not doing it right, you're just failing. You ever see those, those compilations, those, those fail blogs out there on the internet and it says you're doing it wrong? That's not what this message is all about. It's saying, look, forget, unless it's about you're doing it wrong because you, it's a duty or, or you're not trusting in him. And God says, no, come to me. I'm a God who rewards. I'm your father. Come to me in prayer. Not out of mere duty, but so you can delight in God, have communion with God, trust in God, that he'll reward us with answers to prayers that are in accordance with his will and his kingdom and for his glory. Couldn't ask the band to come up, and if you could stand, please, for a moment. If you could stand, and as they're coming up, we will pray. Father, thank you that you give us instruction to pray to protect us from a legalistic view of prayer. You give us instruction to pray so that we can have confidence to pray. You give us instruction to pray so that we know that you were willing to hear our prayers and answer our prayers, that we can come to you as our Father. God, you give us instruction to pray so that we can have confidence and hope and joy and freedom in prayer. And God, I pray that would be the effect today, that we would have fresh confidence and hope and joy, that we would want to pray because we get to pray, and, and, and knowing that you, our Father, will reward us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.